Last Sunday morning, last Sunday actually both sermons, we were in the middle of a little sermon mini-series entitled, What Do You Fear? What Do You Fear? Wherein we talked about, as was noted in this morning's bulletin, some of the things that we as Christians sometimes often fear, but that God says that we don't have to. Last week in those two sermons we discussed in detail the incredible love and strength and power of the Lord our God and how, as I said last week, we need not fear any earthly thing as long as we walk with our heavenly sibling. And we talked last Sunday night in particular about how that included even death itself we need not fear from Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 through 18. And I think that both of last Sunday's sermons could be summed up by Psalm 27 verses 1 through 5 which say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Both of last Sunday's sermons are posted on our website, but this morning I want to conclude with the third part of this little sermon mini-series. And that has to do with answering the question, how can we test and verify and identify what it means and looks like to live a life of godly fear according to God's definition. How can we test and identify and verify what it means to live a life of godly fear by God's definition and hence to truly need fear nothing else on earth? As Solomon said and defined in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, to fear God is to keep His commandments. To keep God's commandments, no matter the cost, and that's the big part. To keep God's commandments, no matter the cost or the consequences, is a true mark of godly fear. We see this in the life of Abraham. Would you turn with me, please, to Genesis, the 22nd chapter. We see this in the life of Abraham when God tested him and told him to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, very familiar story. God and the boy go up on the mountain. 
We read in verses 9 through 12 the following. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Now watch what the angel says. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I highlighted that in my Bible. True godly fear is evidenced by an unwillingness to hold, or I'm sorry, by an unwillingness to withhold any earthly thing, no matter how precious it may be to us, from God if God demands it. That's a sign of true godly fear. That would include things like our time, our talents, or even our family ties, if that's what it takes to obey God's commandments. It would even include our life itself if we were asked to give it. Somebody once said, uh, saint from years ago in the church made the comment that, you know, it's easy for some of us maybe to say, well, you know, if I was called upon with a gun to my head to deny Christ and live or confess Him and die, I'd confess Him, die, they'd pull the trigger and that'd be, you know, heard that sort of thing. But it's harder to live every day for Him in some cases than it is to just die instantly for Him. Romans 8 has some things to say about that. But the bottom line is this. Whether it's our daily life or even our earthly life itself, if we are asked to give it, we need to be willing to sacrifice whatever God asked for. Did you know that Jesus Christ himself, Jesus himself willingly gave up his earthly life out of a reverent and godly fear? Scripture tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, it says, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications... With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. It's talking about Jesus. And it says his prayers were heard because of his godly fear. Some versions may say reverence. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. As you read that text, you find that even Jesus' prayers were heard because he feared God. He reverenced God. And hence, he was willing to obey God. He was willing to obey God's commandments no matter the cost, no matter the consequences, even if it cost him his own life, as it also says in Philippians 2. What does the Bible say are some of the other identifying marks of a life of true godly fear? Well, in Exodus chapter 18, when Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, came and he saw how, how Moses was trying to work with the people and was just wearing himself out. 
This is what Jethro said in verses 19 through 21 of Exodus 18. He says to Moses, Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, watch this, able men such as fear God, men of truth and hating covetousness. Men who truly, men and women of God, who truly fear God, are a people of truth. They are men and women of the word. They are folks who are diligent to prevent it, to prevent, right. Diligent to present themselves, approved to God, as workers who have no need to be ashamed because they're always studying how to rightly divide and teach and live and apply the word of the living God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15. Not only is it a sign of fearing God when one is a person of truth, but also according to that passage in Exodus 18, another identifying mark of godly fear found in that passage is hating covetousness. The word covetousness there means unjust gain or dishonest gain, such as maybe a bribe. We talked about that a few weeks ago from Micah chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Why is it so important that men of God, men who fear God, men who are going to lead God's people and be chosen to do that, be men who hate covetousness. They hate bribes. They cannot be bribed. They cannot be bought. Isn't that kind of leadership you want in the church? Men who cannot be bought. And that's what that's talking about. Their love for God and His Word on the one hand, and their subsequent hatred of covetousness on the other, is what identifies them as God-fearing and makes them the able men that they are referred to in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21. Another mark in the scripture we see of what it means to truly fear God, it is a person who will not oppress or mistreat their brethren. Leviticus 25 in verse 17. People who fear God will not oppress purposefully or mistreat on purpose their brethren because they realize that to do that means that they are actually mistreating their master. Matthew 25 and verse 45. And that is something they would never dare do. There's an old story, an old illustration. It goes something like this. Many years ago there was, according to the story, college or high school professor, whatever he was. Um, actually, wrong story. Let's start over. Bible class teacher in the high school class is the way it went. Um, 
And so students came in one day and they saw that he had a dartboard on the wall. And told the students that they were going to throw darts. They could throw darts to start board and just have fun and pretend that was their worst enemy. And so, first, I don't know if they knew too much what to do with it, but they began throwing darts and talking about people they didn't like and, you know, throwing darts. And I don't like this person because they, you know, wailing the darts into it and all of this. Eventually, the teacher went over to the dartboard and peeled the outer layer off, and underneath it was a picture of Jesus. Did Jesus not say, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me? He did. A person who fears God will not oppress or mistreat their brethren on purpose, realizing that to do so is to do so to the Master. That is why Ephesians 5 and verse 21 tells us to submit to one another out of the fear of God. You know, maybe Moses, as far as the Old Testament is concerned, maybe Moses best summed up in words what a life devoted to the fear of God really looks like for the people of his day in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Moses gives us a beautiful picture and a divinely inspired definition of what a life lived in the fear of God looks like. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning at verse 12, says this. And I want you to notice the individual terms. And now Israel, what... Does the Lord your God require, these are not suggestions, require of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep, number 5 in verse 13, the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you today for your good. It's very easy as we, if we want a, just a, a summation of what it means to fear God. If we want to know what God requires of His people when He says to fear Him, there it is. Walk in all His ways. Love Him. What, is, what did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord, the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Here it is. In order to fear Him, you walk in all His ways, you love Him, you serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And I want to take a minute, we keep seeing that word serve pop up. In a bunch of scriptures that talk about fearing God, we see that word serve just keep showing up. Because... Somebody who truly fears God understands that He gave His Son so that He could redeem for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. We weren't just put here to sit in the pews. We were put here to serve. We see it here again. Yes, Jesus said in the New Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But in this text, it is serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and keep His commandments. Why? Why fear God? Why, why serve Him like this, love Him? Well, He goes on to tell you why. Because God is a God of infinite power and strength that deserves to be reverenced and feared 
and worshipped by his people. Look what he, how he describes God in verse 14 and following. He says, indeed, this is why you do what he said in verses 12 and 13. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. You notice this is personal, the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers, he tells them, to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day. Now, of course, he was talking to the Jews, but guess what? If we're in Christ, we have an even more special relationship with God than those folks did. We're his children. By virtue of the blood of his only begotten Son. Therefore, he says, verse 16, Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger. See what he's saying? Be like God. That's what a life of fearing God looks like. You, you, you look like God. A few minutes ago, we talked about, from Exodus 18, these men who feared God must hate covetousness. They must hate unjust gain. They must not take a bribe. That's a quality of God we see right here in this text. God won't take a bribe. A life lived in fear of Him is a life lived seeking to look like Him. And he says, Love the stranger. Because God does, verse 18, but you also love the stranger, verse 19, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him. Notice how fear and serve go together again. If somebody doesn't serve God, I'm not serving God. I am not going to serve God. I, I just ain't. I'm going to serve me. I ain't going to serve God. Whatever terms you want to put in. That's a person who does not fear God. Think about that. If we're just living our lives and we're not willing to sacrifice whatever God asks, that's not what the Bible says is a, is a godly fear. Fear Him, serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Has God done great and awesome things for you? Fear Him. He's the incredible, awesome, eternal God who created heavens and earth. He's the God who had this plan in place to save you from what your sins have caused before He ever laid the foundations of the earth. He knew what it was going to cost Him. That's the God we serve. That's the God we should fear. That God who can do anything. But chose to love you so much He let his son be crucified, planned for his son to be crucified so he could take you to heaven. Fear him, serve him, love him. He is awesome. Samuel would echo that. Please turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. The people there had done some things they should not have done. But even after all the evil they have done, you know what Samuel tells them? Fear God. God still loves you. God still wants you. But you're going to have to fear Him. Serve Him. Look at this. 1 Samuel 12, 19-24. 
And the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king for ourselves. They said, We've done wrong in the sight of God. Pray for us. Verse 20 of 1 Samuel 12. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. That did not mean don't fear God. But not to be afraid even after their wickedness. He said, You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after the empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. Look, look at this great promise, even after the evil they've done. For the Lord, verse 22, will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. We are Christians by the grace of God. We are his people because God chose to make a way that we could become that. God wanted us that much. And he will not forsake us. Moreover, he says, verse 23, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Folks, even after we've sinned and done things God doesn't approve of, if we'll come back to God, God is just, just wanting us so bad that I can't put it into terms. But what do they have to do if they came back? Well... Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. Verse 24 is really what this morning's lesson is all about. Joshua would tell us in Joshua 24, 14, that fearing the Lord means serving Him in sincerity and truth. If we were to look at that verse in Joshua 24, 14, it tells us something else about a life that is lived in godly fear, another identifying mark. Sometimes, fearing God has to be shown by putting away, getting away from, abandoning the false doctrines and worship practices of our family's past generations. Fearing God more than man sometimes means, as it does in that text in Joshua 24:14, putting away the gods, the false gods, the false doctrines that our families have chosen over the years to follow. Let me just give you a quick list of some other elements or earmarks which allow us to recognize whether or not we're living a life that truly fears God the way we had ought to. I'm just going down through a list. Let me give them to you. Other earmarks or identifying marks. Acting faithfully with a loyal heart. 2 Chronicles 19.9 It's not just doing something. It's not just doing it to check it off the list or so somebody will get off my back. It is acting faithfully with a loyal heart. It is also coming into his house and worshiping him reverently, knowing that the only, the only ability, the only right that we have to be in his house is because of his grace. Psalm 5 and verse 7. One who truly fears God will tremble at his presence. You know, sometimes when we come to church and we understand that we're coming to worship God, we realize He meets us here. 
Do we really have spirits that tremble? Do we know who we're dealing with? Do we understand whose presence we're in like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6? One who truly fears God will tremble at His presence because they are afraid of His judgments. Psalm 119, verse 120. Isaiah 8, 13. Jeremiah 5 and verse 22. Another sign of one who fears God is not being wise in their own eyes, but hating, abhorring, deploring, and departing from evil, from pride, from arrogance. In speaking perverse things, Proverbs 3, 7 and 8, 13. Another sign of fearing God is not letting our heart envy sinners. And that is, I want to talk to you about that for a minute from Proverbs 23 and verse 17. It tells us not to let our heart envy sinners, but to be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. What does that mean? Sometimes it's easy. When we see some of the things the world does, when we see them partying or cutting corners or, or just some of the things that, you know, those momentary sins that they seem to enjoy and, they, you know, life just seems to go so well for them and, and all of these things. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, our heart can envy them and envy that and envy the way they got the way they got what they got. But that Proverb 23 and verse 17 says, Don't do that, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day. It's sort of like King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8, 12 and 13. He said, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will He prolong His days, which are as a shadow, because He does not fear before God. Sometimes some of the things that those out there in the world do just look so like they're just, you know, so great and so wonderful. And He said, don't envy that. It's not going to go well for them. In both Testaments, we see multiple examples of many a prideful and pitiful people who did not choose to humble themselves before God. People who did not choose to fear God. We see in both Testaments what an awful, miserable, rotten, sinful, ugly, disgusting, self-indulgent, and destructive experience they had from 2 Kings 17 as well as Romans 3, 10 through 18. And when we look at that, we truly look at it and say, man, I don't want to live like that. I want to live in the fear of God. Because you see, when we live in the fear of God, there's so many awesome, wonderful, incredible blessings that we have that can only be experienced by those who truly fear God. You know, we say, well, this happened in my life and this happened in my life. Guess what? This and that and those happened in everybody's life. The difference is we have God to help us through those things and they don't. And the blessings are incredible. Incredible. But again, they're only experienced by those who diligently seek and find and fear and submit and entrust themselves totally to the Lord God Almighty. I have put out on the foyer table for you to take home. It's on red, white, and blue star-spangled paper. You can't miss it. 
But there is a list out there from the Psalms and the Proverbs of some verses that explain the incredible blessings for those who fear God. Take one home and meditate upon it. They are awesome. Awesome. After telling the first century Church of Christ in sinful Corinth of God's incredible promises and how they're only for those who will submit themselves to God and separate themselves from the sins of the world. It says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These promises are so incredible. God wants to be our God. He wants to be our Father. It is well worth separating ourselves from the sin of this world and the filth of this world so that we can be in that holy and beautiful palace. And that's why we cleanse ourselves. That's why we become holy or work on becoming even more holy all the time and we do it because we fear God. This is yet another element by which we can identify those who truly fear Him. They are those who are trying to be holier every day. The absolute and God-given beauty of this entire process is this. There's a progression here and it is awesome. As we fear the Lord, and we hence, out of that fear of God, choose to devote ourselves to living, and learning, and loving, and growing in these good graces, that fear of God slowly transforms itself into the purest of love and trust and adoration for God. 1 John 4, 17-21. It doesn't stay fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. But it's a process that begins with fear in God and going through these things that we have talked about. And it transforms to this incredible love that casts out all fear in the end. I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19. I want to show you something beautiful about fear in God. Revelation chapter 19. Starting at verse 5 and reading through verse 8. Remember, Revelation was given to offer those saints hope. We're undergoing such terrible, terrible persecution. Revelation 19, 5-8 says, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him. See, there it is. Who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. You know how the church, the bride of Christ, makes herself ready? By fearing God and keeping His commandments. As was read in our scripture reading, Hebrews 12, 28 and 9, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace 
by which we may, here's our word again, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Are you ready? Are you ready? This morning, if you're not ready, if you're not part of that church, if you're not part of that blood-bought group, you ain't ready. You get ready by accepting the gift of His Son. Because you fear God. You reverence Him. You know that He is the God of the universe and you fear Him. And so you want to be with Him and you don't want to cross Him. You don't want to wind up on the wrong end of God's judgment on Judgment Day. And so, understanding that you are a sinner, you come to God for this cleansing through the blood of His Son. And you do that by being obedient to God and, and contacting that blood where He put it. He says that that process happens at baptism. And we come and we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We rise to walk in newness of life, serving and loving God with all our heart and giving Him everything He has asked for that we humanly can. Giving Him our time and our talent and serving Him and being faithful unto death. So when that day comes, we can be in that group. The invitation is yours to be baptized or if you're somebody here this morning that's been baptized but you know you ain't been living right, we would pray for you, we will help you, we will do anything we can. If you have a need, will you please come to the front now as we stand and as we sing this song of invitation.